Before we start, we're just going to uh, commit this time to God, so will you join me in prayer? Lord God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together today, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to minister to one another, and also to allow you to minister to us. And so we want to pray that in these remaining moments of our service today, Lord God, that you, by the power of your spirit, just really speak into our hearts to transform us, to see the world as you see it, Lord God, and to be able for us to be um, have mission mindset to see this world be transformed through Jesus Christ. And so I just want to pray that you do that work within each of us today, Lord God, we ask. We pray this now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you are new in the room today or new online, welcome. My name's Troy. I'm the pastor here. And as Edwina mentioned, we are starting a brand new series today called Over the Fence, uh, which is... Then this series is to help us better understand the religion of our neighbour. And the religion, by chances are, is going to be different than our own. And uh, the reason why we're doing this series is because it links back to our church's vision. And our church's vision is what? Can anyone remember what it is? Thankfully, Jeff is not here today as the usual mouthpiece for our vision. But our vision is what? It is to see Northwest Sydney, please join in, the more the merrier, to see Northwest Sydney be engaged and transformed with the faith, hope and love of Jesus. So just as a reminder, we, we say that regularly, we say it often, that that is our vision. And so this season, this series that we're starting today is to help us engage, um, to help us with the engaged part of God's vision for us as a church. And it's important that we look at this considering who our community is that we're ministering to. Now, perhaps you remember what this 2021 census information uh, results were that told us about our local community, this northwest part of, of Sydney, about what our makeup of our community is, in particular, what our local community believes. If you can remember those results, you would know that 18% of our community is Hindu, which equates to around about 14,000 people. 7% is Muslim, which is around about 5,500 people. But 20% of our community have no religion at all. They are atheists, they are secularists, they have some other belief that's no religion at all, which is a touch over 15,000 people. So there's a lot of people in our local area who have a, a religion, a belief system that's very different to us as Christians. So each week of this series, we're going to be looking at each of these three religions about what they believe. So that will hopefully be able to help you better engage with your neighbour. Now, to better understand the purpose of this series, I want us to watch perhaps is the most famous of the over-the-fence interactions that we may be familiar with and that speaks to actually what we are all about. So do you want us to just watch this clip right now? Thanks, Scott. Howdy, Wilson. Hi-ho, neighbour. What are you cooking? Boiling up some willow bark. It's no folk remedy for a headache. i got to ask for him. <laughs> Tim, it wouldn't be the same Mankind may have given me the headache But nature will take it away Sure could have used that today mm -hmm. Bad day today? The worst I yell at Jill I insult Al 
And I knocked a guest out in my show with a four by eight. Mm, 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 mm. That is a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> Who was your guest, by the way? You wouldn't know him. He's the pioneer of hole repair. Oh, you mean Bob Vila. <laughs> you know him? Oh, everybody knows Bob. I can see how a guy like that might intimidate you, though. He knows an awful lot about tools. That's just it. Why would he intimidate me? Why does everybody think he knows more about tools than I do? Well, does he, Tim? Yeah. He knew what an ads was without cheating. Mm -hmm. Yes, the old medieval wood-shaping tool. <laughs> How am I supposed to top that? Oh, you can't, Tim. Okay, so I go back on my show and look like a fool again. Tim, 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 the first step for greatness is humbling yourself. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't try to have all the answers and instead ask more questions. You see, Tim, a truly wise man always has more questions than answers. So, would that make me wiser than you, Wilson? Well, what do you think, Tim? <laughs> Thanks, Ed. Who hasn't seen an episode of Home Improvement before? Is any, is, most of us are familiar with Home Improvement. Yeah, well, what an awesome show it is. It's now, if you're interested and you're subscribed to Disney Plus streaming service, it's now on Disney Plus where you can binge it to your heart's uh, content because it, it, what, what a, an excellent uh, sitcom that is. It's, it's one of the best ones ever made. It's so funny. But as you know, in every episode of Home Improvement, there's this awesome interaction between Tim, the tool man, Taylor, and his neighbour, Wilson. And in this particular episode, as you can see there, that Wilson said, you know, humility is the key. And that truly, a truly wise person always asks more questions than they have answers. Now, you may remember that when we launched the vision of the church earlier on in the year, that we spoke about the fact that we truly engage people not with what we know, but rather with the questions that we ask. That's how we engage with people, through the questions that we ask. And so, like Wilson says, we are to be wise in our engagement with our neighbours and our community. And we do that by asking questions. So this series then is to provide you some information so that you can then ask more questions of your neighbour so that you can not only find out more about them and what they may believe, but then also to get to a place where you can ultimately talk about Jesus. Now, before we start looking into the, what is part of the Hindu religion this week, I, I would just want to mention the image that's chosen for this, um, the, this series because it's really important that we do. Now, although the image there, that we can see there, portrays two people from a very different time than ours, it really speaks to something that's really important that we must be mindful of when it comes to engaging with our neighbours. And the first of which is that the image conveys politeness. The image is to, to convey politeness and respect. So engaging with our neighbours, even if they have a very different belief system to our own, is always to be done politely and respectfully. Aggressiveness and being all judgy is not what this image conveys and nor is, not, is what we are to be about and what we are to do. Secondly, this image is being chosen because the goal is actually to lower the height of the fences that's between us. 
See how high the fence is there. It provides a low offence, a low, a lower offence. No, a lower fence makes it a whole lot easier for us to engage with our neighbours. And so we want to make it as easy as possible for our neighbour to take that step towards Jesus. Rather than having the fence so high that they have to hurdle over, they've got a Frosby flop over to try and get from where they are now to where Jesus is. We want to, through our engagement, bring the fence down really, really low to make it easy for our neighbour to take a step towards Jesus. This is why this image was chosen to convey some really important things about engagement with our neighbours. Now, we know that even though that we may engage with our neighbours with the intent of telling them about Jesus, our neighbours may not ultimately take that final step towards Jesus. But even if they don't, we are still to engage them and love them and interact with them because they're awesome people, our neighbours. Well, the majority of them are anyway. They're great people and so we are to love them just like Jesus did. Even though lots of people heard and came to Jesus and heard a lot about Jesus, but they didn't respond to Jesus. But Jesus still loved them and so we are to do the same as well. So let's start by having a little bit more uh, look at what our Hindu neighbour believes. So just as a bit of a show of hands, who feels like they know a lot about the Hindu religion? Okay. Okay, different, so, 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 so Max over, over there, as a, as a different question here, who feels like you don't really know much at all about the Hindu religion? Okay, there's a, so that's great because today then will hopefully be helpful to many of us. Now, can I just say that in the time that we have today and then each week of this series, we're not going to be able to cover everything, not even close. We're only going to be able to scratch the surface. We're only going to talk about the big stuff the big stuff that at least you gives you some background for you to be able to engage with your Hindu neighbour or your Muslim neighbour or your no-religion neighbour. We're going to talk about the big stuff that allows you then to know enough to ask a question because a lot of times, I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, if I feel like I know nothing, then I'm not going to ask a question because I feel like I'm going to look like an idiot. But if at least if I know something, if I've got some background that helps me know that, hey, I can say this, I can ask them that, and, I, and it helps the engagement process. So that's what we want to try and do, give you, talk about the big stuff to help you ask some questions of your neighbour. So to start us off then, just a little bit of a question, which country has the largest proportion of their population being Hindu? Any guess? No, it's not India. The, no, it's not Indonesia. The country that has the highest proportion of Hindu people in it is Nepal. And it's Nepal. 85% of the population of Nepal is Hindu. Now, which is quite amazing, particularly when you think about um, our local community. As I said before, 18% of our local area is Hindu. So you can imagine what the Nepalese in, in culture and environment may be like at 85%. But the question is then... Which country has the most Hindu people in it? And that would be India. India. Yeah, that's right, I India. As you can see up there uh, on the map, and the, and the, and the, uh, you might be able to see the little bit of a, 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 the legend down here. Over a, well over a million um, Hindu people live in India. Now, this was from a map from 2017, so it could actually have changed dramatically since then. But it actually, the reason why... Uh, there's, more, there's more Hindu people in India than anywhere else. It's because that's where the Hindu religion actually started, in India over 4,000 years ago. 
So it's one of the oldest religions in the world, is, is, is the Hindu religion. And could have the fact that there's lots of people in India. That's probably why there's lots of Hindu people in India. But as you can see there, there's, um, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of Hindus throughout the world. And if that map was drawn today, Australia might actually be on that, on that list. Because according to the 2021 census, 2.7% of our, of our population in Australia are Hindu, which equals around about 700,000 Hindu people in Australia, which may be a surprise to you that actually have that many people in Australia, Hindu people in Australia. Now, Hinduism itself has some similarities to Buddhism, but Sikhism is something a little bit different again. Now, why I want to talk about Sikhism just for a few moments is because most of us, I'm sure, are familiar with the Sikh temple that's on Sunny Holt Road. If you're not quite sure, it's the, the big building there with the yellow funny top on the, on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the top, and that's the Sikh temple there. Now, why I want to talk about Sikh, Sikhs for a moment is because Sikhism or Sikhs, is actually a combination of Hinduism and Islam. They actually, they bring it together. They bring some of the, the religious and the, um, the beliefs, the religious practices and beliefs of Hinduism and Islam and bring it together to actually form the Sikh religion, which is a little bit strange, a little bit strange to some of us. We didn't maybe know that. Now, one of the ways that you can identify a Sikh um, male in particular is because they will often wear a turban on their head. That's how you identify a lot of time a Sikh um, man. But Hindu men don't often wear turbans at all. Now, it's important for us to know about the Sikh temple at Sunny Holt Road. I think, well, what other temples are around? Well, when it comes to strictly Hindu temples, there's a number around us. There's some in Toongabi, there's some at Blacktown, Castle Hill, and also just up the road here at Schofields. So there are Hindu temples around us, and they're becoming even more popular, even, even more uh, common in our local area. And if you went to a Hindu temple, there'll be lots of um, various sculptures and pictures of their gods, as well as lots of other religious items as well. But as it is with Christianity... Simply going to a particular place of worship doesn't make you that religion any more than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. It ultimately comes down to what you believe and how you practice it. So what do Hindus actually believe? Well, there's some things that may actually surprise you in that. Now, in our Orthodox Christian understanding of God, we have God the Father, we have God the Son being Jesus, and we have God the Holy Spirit. This trinity is foundational to Christianity. We have one God in three persons. Even though there are three persons, they are still of the same essence, this trinity, this Christian trinity. And so this trinity... These three essences of God, they work together and they have worked continually together for all eternity, both past and into the future. They are at work together. They, have, they express the same uh, will of God and for us to have the same experience of God, the Trinity working together. The Father wills it, the Holy Spirit empowers it, and the Son does it. That's probably the easiest way to think about the Trinity. Now, what we would call God, the Hindus would call Brahman. Brahman. Now, although God and Brahman are very different in many ways, 
But like God, the Hindus believe that Brahman is a supreme universal spirit that is eternal and unchanging. In some of the Hindu holy books, they say that Brahman exists in all parts of creation and that is included in every single person in some particular way. And that ultimately the Brahman is beyond human understanding. Now, so they've got this one God, Brahman. But you may have under, be under the impression that Hinduism is about lots of gods. Well, this is where it becomes a little bit interesting. Where Christianity has the Trinity, Hinduism has what is called the Trimurti. The Trimurti. Now, the Trimurti is the three-person representation of Brahman. Now, each deity in the Trimurti um, has a different role. There's a different form. And they have been involved or will be involved at different parts of creation or the human story of, of history itself. The first of which of these trimurtis, the representations of Brahman, is Brahma, is Brahma, and who, who is um, ascribed the, uh, as being the original creator of everything. And then the second member of the trimurti is Vishnu, who is the sustainer of everything. And then you have Shiva being the destroyer of everything. So you have a, a creator, you have a sustainer, and then you have a, a destroyer. Now, um, and then from the Trimurti, you then have a lot of other particular deities that come about as well from various ways, which are also worshipped by Hindu people. Now, uh, Brahma, the creator, if we can just go back one slide, a couple of slides, thanks. Just There we go. Brahma, the, thank you, Scott. Uh, Brahma, the creator, that's a representation uh, of, a, of an idol, a statue of Brahma. Now, it's usually represented with three heads. The reason for that, each head represents a different part of Brahma, different part of the creation process. Now, this should not surprise us as Christian people because, I mean, if you've ever read Revelation, you know there's some weird stuff being described in the last book of our Bible. So we shouldn't be freaked out by this because if you read Revelation, there's a, a, there's a whole lot of different beings described of having different attributes. Same thing here with Brahma. Each of the heads represents something different as it is for with our, within our descriptions of Revelation. But then also the other one of the other members of the of the uh, Trimurti is Vishnu. This is a representation of Vishnu, who is the sustainer. And, uh, and, this, and Vishnu supposedly has 10 avatars. Now, an avatar is a, a manifested form of Vishnu, and there's supposedly 10 avatars that this, as Vishnu has manifested themselves, he, himself as to express his godness into the world in, in, in different ways. Now, one of these avatars, one of these manifested forms, is a, one called Krishna. Anyone heard of the term Krishna before? This is where the, the sacredness of cows comes into, into, into play, into, into meaning. And so these 10 avatars, these 10 manifested forms of Vishnu are also worshipped by the Hindu people. And then... Um, and usually, as you can see there, Vishnu has four arms. Each of the arms represents something different. And, but Vishnu is not the only one with four arms. So is the fourth member, or the third member of the Trimurti, being Shiva, Shiva the Destroyer. And this is a, a representation of Shiva. Now, Shiva is also often 
represented with uh, pronounced sexual prowess, so to to speak. And uh, often that is shown in um, actual statue form or drawings quite explicitly. Now, in this photo, the... The, uh, the, the sensual, uh, sexual nature of, um, of Shiva is expressed by the rock that's down on the ground at the beginning with the horizontal lines. Now, movie lovers, what does that rock with the horizontal line remind you of? Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Now, if you like, if you're an Indiana Jones fan, thank you, Lindsay. Is um, you know that that's one of the quests that Indy goes on to try and find this rock. Now, this rock is special to the Hindu people because it's attached to Shiva, and because it's fertility and and a whole lot of other other things associated with. So it's very very special. So in this picture and in many others, this this rock with the lines on it as well as Indiana Jones, expresses something about the qualities of Shiva. Now, this is also, Shiva is also really important when it comes to this nature because we may have heard or understand about the nature of the Hindu religion being very um, sensual, being very sexual in some regards. That actually comes from Shiva, a depiction of Shiva and understanding of who Shiva is. That may be a surprise to many of us, but I'm just telling you, what they believe. So there we go. Now, the leader of being Shiva, being the de- destroyer, the leader of his destructive forces is none other than his son, Ganesha. Now, Ganesha is represented by having a boy's body and an elephant as a head. Now, Ganesha is the god of obstacles. Obstacles. And um, so a lot of Hindu people, what they try to do is appease Ganesha because if they can appease Ganesha in some ways, it means that their life will have a whole lot less problems in it. It'll be a much smoother, easier, more comfortable life if they can appease Ganesha. Now, these are just some of the gods. There are many, many gods and goddesses that are the result of various cosmic situations. And Hindu people, they can worship any or all of these gods. Now, some of the gods that I've mentioned, some of the ones I haven't, they are more popular than, than others with, um, with Hindu people. And sometimes it does come down to a popularity contest when it comes to Hindu beliefs about what they worship. But within the pantheon of all these gods, all the range of gods that they believe are in existence, these deities, Hindu people can worship whichever one they want. There is not one God that they have to worship. They can just choose whatever that they want. And so what you'll see is that that Hindu people will have different pictures. They'll have different statues and idols at their homes or at shops or in temples or lots of other places, depending on which God they actually worship. And one Hindu may worship one God. Another Hindu may worship another God altogether. There is no uniformity when it comes to the worship of their God. And when I say worship, worship for Hindu people is a little bit similar to ours in the sense that there will often be prayers, there will sometimes be singing, there will be offerings made of food and money and some other objects as well. But ultimately, the Hindu decides which God or which gods that they are going to worship. But the interesting thing is this provides us an incredible opportunity to engage. Because if you can understand which God it is that they worship, then that allows you then to ask particular questions. Because the God they choose to worship 
will then express something of what they're scared about, what they're concerned about, or what they're hopeful for. If you can understand that, then that provides you an opportunity to ask questions to find out more about what they believe. Why is that God important to you? Why do you worship that God over another? So this provides you an opportunity to ask questions from there. Now, obviously, the deities in Hinduism are very different to that which we as Christians understand and express. Because ultimately, we believe that there is one God in three persons as a trinity, but there is one God. And that we are not to make images of God and uh, idols. And their idols are to be avoided altogether because what is an idol? You know, lots of places through our holy book, through, through our scriptures, it affirms this reality. This is just one part of it. Like in Psalms, it says, this is what the Lord says. Sorry, Isaiah. It says, this is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty says this. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. The idols of nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. Eyes that cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Our scripture affirms that idols have no bearing upon the human existence at all. There is one God, one God who involves himself in the human existence, one God who has been pre-existing, one God who controls and is sovereign over it all. This is what our scriptures affirm, which is very different to the Hindu understanding of God. Now, this understanding of our God is reflected in something that Paul writes in particular to his mate Timothy when he says this. He says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. So with Jesus being the mediator between God and all people, then that leads us into learning about how Hindus understand and treat sin. Now, Hindus people live by the concepts of karma and reincarnation. Now, the good or bad that you have done in this life will be reflected in their next reincarnated life. Now, the reincarnation that a Hindu person may experience may be as another person or maybe as a god or maybe some other creature altogether. But the Hindus believe that your experience of your next reincarnated life is a result of what you have done in the life and lives previously. The Hindu people believe that there will be millions of reincarnation experiences and that will be the result of what you have done in previous life experiences. Be good or bad, they believe that your next experience will be a result of what you have done before. And so they will experience in their next reincarnated life the experience of their karma. Now, interestingly, when it comes to Hinduism, there is no God who determines a Hindu's next reincarnation experience. There is no God of karma. So that means that there is nothing to define what your next reincarnated life would be like. It just sort of happens. It just sort of happens, which is quite strange to us as we try to think about reincarnation, about what the Hindus actually believe. 
but a various reincarnation life is not the ultimate goal of the Hindu person. The ultimate goal of a Hindu is to attain a thing called moksha. Now, moksha is the Christian, what we would understand sort of to the concept of salvation. Moksha for the Hindu means being liberated from the reincarnation cycle and then ultimately to be absorbed into the great eternal reality. There's a TV show that was on a couple of years ago now called The Good Place. Anybody watch The Good Place? A couple of us have watched The Good Place. In the final scenes of the final episode of, of um, The Good Place, it shows effectively what moksha is, where there's a break in the reincarnation cycle, if you like, and that the, the characters are then absorbed into the great eternal reality. If you know the show, that's depicting moksha in many regards. Now... What I've just described, I know, might seem very foreign to us because that's very different to what we understand about life, about what Jesus has done, and about the personal and loving nature of God. Although, like the, the Hindu, we also know that, that we do good and bad, but we know that because of Jesus' death on the cross, he has dealt with now and forever every person's sin that they have done yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Our sin has been dealt with in the eternal realm by God himself. And so it has no bearing upon our sin, has no bearing upon our eternal future. Jesus died on the cross as a free gift of God's love to all people. There is nothing that we can do to earn this gift. There is no, we certainly do not deserve this gift of grace that God, that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. You see, where karma just sort of happens in the Hindu belief, we know that God himself has dealt with our sin at great personal expense to God for him to deal with our sin. And it is what we do with our understanding of what Jesus has done for us that then determines our eternal experience. See, where Hindus will try and work really hard to try and do good things to help their karma, we live free in the knowledge that our sin is forgiven by what Jesus has done on the cross. And that we then accept that Jesus as being God and accept what Jesus has done on the cross. So that when we die, there is no need for reincarnation to try and do better next time round. But rather that we, when we finish our one and only life, we then go to be with God in heaven and who knows us by name. And then we can live with this God who knows us by name and we can live in close personal relationship with God who loves us for all eternity. This is very different to what Hindu people believe. So one of the real opportunities to discuss the differences between Hinduism and Christianity simply lies with Jesus, always lies with Jesus. Now you may remember that I said that um, the Hindus believe that one of their higher order gods, Vishnu, had ten avatars or ten manifested forms, which are mythical in nature. In other words, they have no place in human history. 
This compares so differently to Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus, the historical figure who came into our existence, who lived and breathed and walked amongst us, who taught us incredible things, who performed many miracles. Jesus is a historical person in the story of all humanity. Jesus is historical. And then we know that this this historical Jesus also was crucified, died on the cross. And we also know that Jesus historically was was historically recorded that he rose from the grave three days later and then ascended back into heaven 40 days after that. People saw Jesus do this. People touched the living Jesus after his death. Jesus is not a myth. Jesus is a divine reality who came into our worldly existence to love us, to guide us, to help us, and to set us free. Jesus, the historical character, is so very different to any other forms within the Hindu belief system. So that means then that you could potentially politely ask your Hindu neighbour about who Vishnu is, about his ten about these 10 avatars like Krishna to lead ultimately the conversation about the historical Jesus. You could ask your, politely ask your Hindu neighbour about Shiva, their destroyer, and instead to lead them towards a, a conversation about Jesus. Jesus the restorer. Jesus who, is, who makes all things new. We could talk about that. And we could also ask questions, polite questions about Ganesha, their God of obstacles. And we can talk then about how the Holy Spirit, the, the enduring presence of Jesus, how Jesus, is, the Holy Spirit, is our comforter. He is our helper and how he remains with us always through the good things and the bad things in life. The Holy Spirit, the, the enduring presence of Jesus is there to help us through the obstacles and challenges of life. So these are just a couple of the big things for you to know about to help us ask questions of our Hindu neighbours, to help us engage with them, because these leading questions are ultimately to help us to talk about Jesus and about how different Jesus is. But these questions can only happen as a result of us already establishing a relationship with our Hindu neighbour. Let me say that again. You can only ask these type of questions after you've established a relationship with your Hindu neighbour. You don't ask these questions cold. Oh, there's a Hindu person walking down the street. Hey, tell me about Vishnu. What's this about Shiva? You don't be doing that. You've got to establish your relationship with your, with your Hindu neighbour first before you're even allowed to go there and ask those type of questions. But here's a couple of vital tips when it comes to engaging with your Hindu neighbour. Firstly, don't use the term Christian to describe you. Why? Because Hindus, many Hindus, most Hindus associate Christians with eating beef. And... and uh, And this is, as I mentioned before, sort of an affront to Hindus because of the sacredness of cows. So saying that you're a Christian can actually cause an incredible philosophical and relational fence to go up really high, a huge barrier, simply because you say that you're a Christian and Christians eat beef. And we know that the sacredness of cows to the Hindu people. Now... Hindus are big on hospitality. 
that if you were to be hospitable to your Hindu neighbour, don't put on a barbecue with steak and sausages. Okay, this is so much of a big deal, such a barrier, that this is perhaps how, this should perhaps change the way that churches, churches reach out into the community, particularly as we reach out into the community, particularly with the proportion of Hindu people that are living in our community now and is still growing. See, churches like ours, we love to throw in a barbecue. You know, we get people around a barbecue. But if we're going to disengage with Hindu people by putting on a simple barbecue, then we're defeating the purpose of reaching out into the community at all. We want to engage. We want to make it easy to engage with, with, with our Hindu neighbours, with a large proportion of our community. So we have to be sensitive to what, how we do that. And maybe a barbecue, we can't do anymore to make sure that we engage properly with our Hindu community. Now, so because many Hindu people associate Christians with, with beef eating, then instead of saying that you're a Christian, say that you are a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus and that you want to introduce them to your guru. Now, that might sound a little bit weird, but guru is a big deal in Hindu culture. There are a number of offices in the Hindu religion. One of them is a a Hindu priest who performs all the rites in shrines and temples. Another one is a guy called a yogi. And a yogi is someone who's 100% committed to the disciplines or the practices of yoga. Now, there is a whole lot of spiritual stuff in yoga. Make no mistake about it. But a yogi is somebody in Hindu culture who is fully devoted to the practice of yoga. You have a guy called a sadhu who is a Hindu holy man, almost like a Hindu monk, if you like. And then you have a guru. Now, a guru is one's teacher and who is the person who is most responsible for a a Hindu's spiritual development. Now, engaging with the Hindu person, saying that Jesus is our guru is so important because we recognise then that Jesus is not only our guide and our teacher, but also that he is the one who's solely responsible for our spiritual and our life transformation. So for us to say that Jesus is our guru in relating to a Hindu people, that's a term that they can relate to and provides them an opportunity for us to talk a little bit more about Jesus. Now, um, today is not the only opportunity for us to understand the differences between Hindus, what Hindus believe and what we believe as Jesus followers. In fact, to coincide with the Hindu festival of Diwali in November, we're going to have a special preaching series. Now, Diwali, if you're not quite sure, is the sacred, one of many uh, sacred festivals that Hindus um, celebrate. And Diwali is uh, the festival of where Hindus celebrate um, the victory of light over darkness. And so we're going to be doing a series called Living in the Light. And uh, this we're going to be talking about how Jesus is the light and what it means to live in God's light. Now, you can invite your Hindu neighbour along the church at any point. But knowing we're going to be intentionally talking about Um, how God is light and what it means to live in the light at the time of their celebration of lights, the festival of lights, you might want to start engaging with your Hindu neighbour, knowing that you can maybe want to invite them along to church here in November for that particular series. So that's something that you might want to think about. Now, we know that Hindu people are great. 
They're great people. They're great neighbours. They are usually really good people because they're trying to do good things to get their good karma for their next reincarnation. But, but even, though they're, even though they're so different to us in the, what they believe, they are good people and we are to, uh, to love them and respect their beliefs. And, uh, but it provides us lots of opportunities to engage with them. What we know is saying that, that for us to fulfil our vision as a church, that it's going to need us to engage with our neighbours more and more. Now, I have every faith that you can do this and that I can do this as well. But it starts from a place where we go, you know what, I respect you and I want to engage with you and I'm going to follow the advice of Wilson. We're saying I'm going to truly humble myself and, and express wisdom where I'm going to ask more questions than simply blurt out what I know. Now, when engaging with our neighbour, we must always be mindful of these words of the Apostle Peter when he writes this. He says, In your hearts revere Christ as Lord. In other words, have Jesus as the number one thing in your life. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Why is Jesus so important to you? Do you have that settled in your heart today about why Jesus is so important to you? But the last thing he says is, but do this. Engage with your neighbour with gentleness and respect. Whether or not you're online today or whether or not you're here in the room, how settled is Jesus in your heart? How much have you committed your life and revere what Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done on the cross? You know, this is so important for our own lives about recognising what Jesus has done and allowing Jesus to live within us. If you don't have Jesus settled in your heart today, if you're online and you haven't had Jesus settled in your heart today, then why not make a commitment to following Jesus, the historical Jesus who came into this world, who died on the cross and who rose again from the grave to prove that your sin is forgiven and that he is in fact God, that we can trust Jesus with our very life. If you have not got that settled in your own life today, then why not do that? In a few moments when... And Mark and Denise come and lead us in a final song. If you are here today and you want to make Jesus, have Jesus settled in your heart, in your life, then come and talk to me and we'd love to pray with you about that. If you're online and you'd like to do that as well, then please get in contact with me during the week. I'd love to talk with you about how you can make Jesus the centre of your life because of who Jesus is. Hopefully today you've learned something. Hopefully today you've got some more information. Hopefully today you've now got the basis to engage with your Hindu neighbour just a little bit more. Next we're going to talk about what Muslims believe and about how that may be able to, understanding that may be able to help us engage with them a little bit more as well. Will you join me in prayer? Lord God, we give you thanks and praise that today we learnt something new, something new about the people that you love. Lord God, we know that you love all Hindu people, Lord God, and you desire them to know you for who you truly are. In fact, you want all of us to know that. Lord, I want to thank you for, for today what you have given us to be able to help us engage our neighbours more with the reality of Jesus by us getting to know them a little bit more and then taking the opportunity to share about Jesus more and more with the people that we live close to. Lord, encourage us. Give us courage to be able to engage. 
Lord, let us rely on the power of your Holy Spirit within us to be able to make conversation, to engage with people in our community. Lord, I want to pray for that as a church. I want to pray that for me in my interactions with people as well. Lord, grant us courage and give us the words, give us a sensitivity, give us the politeness and respect to engage, Lord God, with questions to help us lead to a meaningful interaction and engagement with people in our, in our local area. Lord, I want to thank you now for what you're going to do now and into the future as a result of understanding this better today. I want to thank you now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you.